Hey, so uh, so today we have a, a great guest in the house. We got James Bruton, or I guess he's not literally in the house, but you know, in the house electronically, who, who built all kinds of crazy robots. He's working on a robot dog. He's uh, working on a Strand Beast too, which obviously I'm very interested in. So James, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty good. Um, you know, thanks for taking the time out of your your schedule. It seems like, man, you, you come up with so many robotics projects. I just don't understand how you have the the time for it. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Really, out of all the makers, I don't think anybody puts out more content than you do, or you know, quality content with actually things they have built, not just like cutting boards. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I guess the, the main thing is that I committed to do weekly videos about five years ago. And pretty much there's been a video on a Tuesday every week since, unless there's been something like I did a collaboration with someone and they had to put the video out on a different day or something. Bigger YouTubers generally get the priority. Right. So, um, yeah, I do sort of plan ahead and um, having 3D printing and stuff. I have 11 3D printers that really helps making all that content. Wow. <laughs> so and, and I don't think I'd be able to, to, you know, get all the parts made otherwise. So. Yeah, seriously. Now, that was now one I, of our questions. I, I listened to you on a, uh, I think it was the Amp Hour podcast a while ago, and I believe you said you have a full-time job too. Is that is that the case? Or no, not I a do full-time, YouTube but... full-time now. So I do, I've had uh, various jobs over the years. I may have had a part-time job at the time, uh, but now that... I am full-time on YouTube. So Okay, well, that's good. Because it just seemed, whenever I heard it, it just seemed insane that, because you were like, yeah, I do some development work a couple days a week. And I'm like, wow, that guy is... <laughs> That guy's very busy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the in the you know, I mentioned that I do a weekly video and have done for years. But I have, ha I have had full time jobs within that time as well. So uh, yeah. Well, wow. glad uh, glad you're able to dedicate yourself to it, and I guess uh, I guess have some time to be on a podcast once in a while too, right? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> it's amazing that you even have the energy to do all this stuff in, in a day. You know, I I could never output so much uh, stuff. Not in a week, not in a month. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's just a constant constant plan. I have a, you know, Trello, the card system. So I have a Trello kind of card for the calendar and like pipeline of things that need working on and what's the secondary thing. And then ideas come in kind of on the other side to uh, be turned into things that are tangible in the end. So, yeah, just work it through and then try and start designing the thing that's coming up in three weeks. You know, so I can start making the parts and then the parts are ready for me to make the video. It's kind of a constant sort of production <laughs> line, I guess, is a good way of looking at it. Sure. Do, so, do you do all your so production? It's not just your... Do you do all your Sorry, production Jamie, yourself? Go Sorry, what was that? Do you do all your production yourself or do you have some help with that? As oh, far no, as video me, production. So I have, to, I have to make all the video and edit it as well. Well, and good, wow. social media good for posts. you. Yeah. <laughs> And, and do you think the, the system with your planning ahead and the, the Trello cards, um, does that just help you personally because that's your style or is that the success to actually, um, the, the key factor that enables you to put out so many videos? Yeah, I mean, I think having having that plan and how, knowing what you're going to be doing in three weeks is quite useful. Obviously, I have to buy parts and have them arrive as well. So, um, I mean, there's kind of with YouTubers, there's two kind of trains of thought about what's the best thing to do. Um, and you'll notice a lot of other YouTubers like Ivan Miranda and Tom Stanton are people I've worked with and they tend to do a project and put it out when it's finished. And then another month later, there'll be one video about building the whole thing. 
Uh, the mm. views are definitely higher, I think, doing it that way, or they might average out depending on how you you know how many how frequent they put the videos out. But you know, their views run into hundreds of thousands and mine are generally about fifty thousand, but I do four videos or five videos a month, so depends how you look at it. So from a YouTube algorithm point of view, it's kind of difficult to say what the right thing to do is. I think the videos where one thing is finished and it goes out in one go probably has a bigger clout in that you can watch one video and you see the results at the end. But the main reason I've been doing it weekly is because I set my Patreon page up years ago and I set it up on a per creation basis rather than a monthly basis. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no easy way to switch that without losing a whole bunch of pledges. So I've just carried on basically making weekly content and doing it that way. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's... But, um, yeah, I don't know what the right strategy is really from a, from a YouTube point of view, or I guess it really suits whoever's lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I'm as, sure... As long as you're doing well with, with your views, uh, there's no issue with that. I, I have the same that I do it per creation. I just, I couldn't do it weekly. Like if I have a month without any uh, videos out, I, I wouldn't want to charge people for it. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was your concern at the beginning. Uh, yes. Well, with a per creation Patreon, then I just wouldn't earn the money, of course. So yeah, that's that's the slight difficulty. Unless I start making Patreon exclusive content, you know, and compressing, then all of that edited down into one video that goes public or something like that. Uh, which is a possibility, but it's something that I haven't really, and that's even more work practically. So, yeah, I suppose that'd be true. It, it's, um, you know, I don't know. You say, you know, as far as algorithm, et cetera, it's, you know, I, I wonder if, I almost wonder if anybody knows. And then, you know, if they do know, then, you know, two months from now, a year from now, it might be, might be bad information anyway. So, who yeah, knows? sure. So, I mean, you know, Mark Rober does very well by putting one video out a month. Mm -hmm. That's so the guy I that think... learns all the stuff, right? The um, Irish guy. No, Mark Rober, who I worked on him with the bowling ball and he did the auto uh, dartboard. Oh, the, the, the theft guy, Porsche, yeah. The Polish pirates. Yeah, yeah, the Polish pirates. The yeah. Bomb, uh, the confused him with the Irish guy that learns all these tricks, uh, like oh, uh, okay. skills every month. Right. Yeah, so I think yeah. uh, I think monthly could work. If I was doing it all from scratch, I'd probably do everything monthly. But you know, that's uh, just the way I haven't done it, and so that's why there's so much content. Oh yeah. Well, wh what are you working on right now? So like, right now, um, so on Tuesday, the Open Dog version two mechanical construction video goes out, which is building the whole of the new robot dog. Uh, wow. But I'm actually working <laughs> on the next video which is putting the electronics in, which is what I'm actually working on now. But I've already done another video for the week after, which is another robot that balances on a ball, which is revisiting one of my first Arduino projects I ever made. Wow, yeah. so you're so far ahead already, and, and you're also diverting into different topics. Yeah, pretty much. Is the patrons just... get the videos a week early, so they'll get the ball balancing robot on Monday or Tuesday, and that'll go out the following Tuesday. And the uh, ball balancing robot, is that a personal interest of you that you say, oh, I want to revisit this? Or how yeah, did you decide so, uh, to go from of, the robot dog well, to, so the, one of the, to the ball? Well, so robot dog is going out every two weeks purely because I need extra time to work on it and think about what I'm doing. Now we've got to control and electronics and software. Um, and obviously printing all the parts happened in the background anyway to make the whole thing in one video. 
so I can't necessarily like do the work quick enough to publish that every week anyway. And the ball balancing robot was something when uh, Star Wars Episode Seven came out, and I built one of the well, my first version uh. of BB-8. I tried to make the head balance on the ball, but it was one of my first Arduino projects. And I know a lot more now about making dynamic balancing robots than I did then, so I thought I'd revisit <laughs> it. So it isn't another BB-8. There's another theme, but it's um, significantly better with brushless motors and O-drives and uh, faster microcontroller and a better inertial measurement unit and wheel encoders and all the things you're supposed to have. Wow. Well, that's a lot that's of firing to do. Yeah, so that's a two-part two part that'll be the first one is printing it all and the second one is putting electronics in and making it work hopefully and do you get any helpers that help you with the code or the printing no it's all it's just me pretty much unless there's a, a visible yeah. collaboration like i'm doing a video with colin furs or someone then it's just me <laughs> well i wonder how the phone calls are with colin first <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? If it's like, I wonder if the phone calls with Colin first are like talking to "Look, Mom, no computer," because <laughs> well, it does yeah. seem very distracted. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, yeah. you did a collaboration with "Look, Mom, no computer," right? Was that a? How was that? Yeah, must have been Sam, a lot of fun. I know him pretty well, so yeah, we did the fire-breathing robot thing. That was one of the first times I met him, though. Um, yeah, so that was that was quite good. We just didn't really know what we were going to do exactly. We had a fair idea there was going to be fire involved. And we just sort of, I just went down to his place and took one of my robots and then we patched it into his modular synth. So it's joints moved. Um, I think we had joints moving on different beats or something from a sequencer. And then we had one arm moved into, in um, relation to musical pitch from my guitar. And then we did a song that I'd written and then everything caught fire. And that's the yeah, end. Yeah, I think that was, well, how'd that go? Robots, I love robots, right? Was that a... I think you love yeah, robots too. Yeah, that's it. Too. That was my short song that I wrote just for that occasion. <laughs> I, I was impressed. You're a pretty good guitarist too, it, it appears, or at least. Yeah, competent. I've been playing since I was 16, so yeah, it does help. I haven't played. I don't play a lot now, but I know basic blues scales, so can jam to anything. Nice. Well, that's yeah. It was a lot of a lot of fun to see, and you know, fire. Of course, everybody everybody likes yeah. that. And of course, I don't just do robotics projects. I do. I've actually got well. So I've got the performance robots, which are these two seven-foot-tall robot torsos on sticks, which I use for events and things like that. And those are synced up with DMX software, which is Lighting Desk software, and that takes a feed from MIDI and other things and OSC, which are used for music. So um, I have those, and I have a big, big in accessible interfaces basically that kids can mash big buttons and floor pads and the robots do robotic motion sequences and there's obviously lighting that's dmx lighting anyway and also some various um music sequences that are played from ableton live and then i've got things like the barcode scanner guitar that i built which is a guitar that's just got barcodes and a handheld barcode scanner instead of strings <laughs> so i take that to events and that can be used to play notes or it can be used as like a midi control surface to control any of that Nice. Um, do, do, so yeah, music do a lot kind of, of another thing, and the performance is another thing that I quite like. Do you do a lot of events, or you, I mean, I know you. Well, not that. the moment, but I did have one planned every month for pretty much this summer until you know lockdown happens, and uh, all of them are now cancelled pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good but yeah, point. I did a couple earlier this year, so I did the V&A Museum in Dundee, in Scotland. So it was an eleven-hour drive to get up there with a van of robots. 
and uh, yeah, I did a, like a STEM education talk in the morning and a four-hour robot interactive robot show controlled by you in the afternoon. <laughs> and was that something that you wanted to get into, into uh, performances? So you tried to uh, reach out to venues or did that happen naturally? It kind of happened. Well, so I get asked to go to events anyway, but normally I don't have anything to take because normally I strip down projects and I've got bits of broken stuff or things that didn't work properly. Everyone wants open dog, but that doesn't walk the original one anyway. And it weighs 50 kilograms, which is about a hundred pounds. So it's really heavy. So it's really hard to actually think of something to take to demonstrate. So I thought I'd build robots that were reliable and transportable and remain in one piece. And that's why I made performance robots. So I had something to take to events. And the plan was to flesh that out. So I've got these puppeteering rigs that are like little versions where you can hold the arms and move them and it moves the big version. So there's a video I did with Matt Denton, the Mantis robot guy, where we did a puppeteering challenge because I've got two of these robots and two puppeteering rigs. And the robots have got grippy hands now on rotating wrists. So you have to pick up balls and drop them into a box remotely using these puppeteering rigs. So that was going to be the, another offering for events to sort of do an hourly robot challenge with perhaps other speakers at an event or other YouTubers and that sort of thing. And also do collaborations by using those robots to potentially do, you know, remote, remotely operated, I don't know, perhaps with a cooking channel to have a robot kitchen assistant or something like that. <laughs> so... Uh, But yeah, I did, um, actually did a talk at Dundee University and someone there spotted me and then they asked me to go to the V&A to do this. Um, they had actually had a robotic exhibition on. So they asked me to go there on the closing weekend. Um, what else did we have? Yeah, so there's other events. We had There's a thing um, to do with a naval base that's quite near where I live, which um, have a big open day. So they had the gravity jet suit guys are supposed to be there, but that's um, already been postponed and we don't know if it's going ahead. And various other science festivals that have all just basically got cancelled. Yeah, I guess that, that anyway. this is a good time to have two separate businesses. Yeah, I mean, the, that was uh, there was sort of one event a month, so they were paid appearances, but um, it was pretty minimal compared to the rest of YouTube. But you never know. Anyway, there's always next year. Yep, always, <laughs> always next year. That's a good. That's a good. Uh... Yeah. Good thing to say these days, you should, I guess. You should write it on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, and so my plan was for, because we don't know what's going to happen with events and obviously social distancing, and I've got these things that are basically panels of big pinball machine buttons, and obviously keeping those sanitized is going to be quite hard with lots of filthy kids coming and mashing the buttons. <laughs> so I've already got a facial recognition thing where you move your face in a webcam and then the robot heads copy your motions. So I've been playing with the um, NVIDIA Jetson Nano, which is a little supercomputer, a bit like a Raspberry Pi 4, slightly different spec. But it, basically, NVIDIA have published lots of deep learning models that will recognize something like a thousand objects pretty accurately. So the plan is to have more vision recognition built into the performance robots interactive stuff so people can wave objects or themselves in front of cameras instead of actually physically touching anything. So depending on what happens with events and whether everyone's got to stand six feet apart and, you know, can't touch stuff, that's a kind of easy route to bringing that up and it being clean, I guess. <laughs> But we'll see But what that, happens. That's a really high-tech solution. At first, I thought you were going forward to like a Purell sprayer that automatically sprays down the buttons after somebody used it. 
No, I think that's uh, going to cause more problems than, than uh, in the, the practicality of trying to implement it and make it work properly. But yeah. I, I guess you could have like a, a UV box over the over the buttons that just ah, zaps get it every. Sunburned. Yeah, yeah, that, that's says true. UV light is not good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's yeah, not good for the viruses, right? It's, so. It's the what's <laughs> the uh, it's like the complicators bicycle. There's an article about this bicycle, which was um, a bicycle you sit on sideways and ride sideways, but obviously if you fall over backwards, you can't stop yourself. So then they put like little stilts that flip out when it falls backwards so that you don't fall over and so on and so on. It's like, why is anyone doing this? A bicycle's already the perfect design. You know, stop making up thing, a, a problem that doesn't exist and then trying to fix more problems that occur. So that's yeah. a good point. I had one of those ideas. I always thought, you know, if, if you crash your car into a brick wall, mm -hmm. surely it must be safer if you sit face the other way around. Right. If you're facing the rear of the car. <laughs> Possibly. So, you, so, yeah, so the driver, he would, you would project all the surroundings onto the rear window and the driver would think he's going in the other direction. Okay. Hmm. And how, how, did how this, does rear view work? Well, you've got cameras. And, and you're, you're not looking through the window. You're looking uh, at, at the screens of the cameras, basically. But do so they actually just look, like you're going... look out the back of the car for the rear view? Or do they look into a camera looking out in the same direction? That's true. You, do, you just have to have a little space. Just, it's yeah. just a hole. <laughs> be, does that whole, need to be mirrored, though? Or would it be weird it being the right way around? Anyway. So have you had any Anderson this from uh, you know, Bosch or BMW or anything? No, 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 no. Not okay. yet. But I'm, oh. I'm, I might keep working on it. There's always another year, next year. You should build a prototype that's a go-kart to see how easy it is to drive. That would be fun, yeah. But I would yeah. probably get stuck at building the go-kart and do that for one or two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Mac, Max has been working on a, uh, a hydrofoil for, I don't know, for it, 10 years or so. Is that, is that right? Uh, it's, it's two years now. Yeah, electric hydrofoil, but it's just my, my regular work. I've got so much to do right now. Uh, mm. I will finish it. It's a long-term project, but it, it's something I think that you would put out in a few weeks. Yeah. Unfortunately, people have printed offered snowboard, so I haven't put mm. out yet because um, we can go snowboarding because of lockdown. So that'll pop up at some point, but that's already packed up and ready to go in my luggage. That's really cool. I was wondering, your printers, what, what kind of nozzle size do you use? Uh, so mostly a 0.5 mil, and then I've got the so they're all Lulzbot printers. So I've also got the Lulzbot more extruders, which are 1.2 millimeter. Oh, so wow. when it comes to really big parts, I tend to use that. Or if I want to make something super quickly, that makes hmm. sense because normal printers are 0 0.4, I think. Yeah, and I'm wondering I think if Prusa's I should 0. 4, change your nozzle. ship with a 0.5. The parts come out much stronger with a thicker nozzle, but they're also gen tend to be heavier marginally. So for the new open dog, I used the 0.5s, but you know, having a, so many printers printing in parallel helps quite a lot with getting something like that made in one week. Do you yeah, know how much uh, kilograms of filament you use in a month? It really depends. Um, in this particular build that, you know, is 
I think it's probably printing for more than a week. It's probably over the two weeks because I had some other project going on, but I had to print that as well, which was the, was it the strand beast? I think it might've been the last part of that, or I might've been printing the first part of the balancing robot. They kind of overlap. Let me think. So uh, there's about probably uh, something like eight kilograms in that build, maybe. So I don't, I don't know really <laughs> what, the, what it is on a monthly basis. It really depends what big projects I build. I mean, there was, what, what? you know, I did the tallest 3D printed sculpture of a human in the world, which is a Guinness World Record, and that was 50 kilograms. And I did that in about two months. Hmm. Well, and well, how do you this? try to max out the, the build platform or do you print one by one in case something goes wrong? No, I tend to build what I do, tend to do one. Well, unless they're very small parts, but otherwise the parts are pretty big that I print anyway. So normally they only fit one on the platform at a time. The low spots are a foot square bed. So um, they, you know, there's some of the parts I kind of push the size of that bed anyway. So. Mm -hmm. So, so tell us about your strength beast. Uh, what, 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 a, what, what was the inspiration for, for making one? So, I built several walking robots in the past, and some of them were bipedal. I built a Star Wars gonk droid that can walk along, and various. There's probably about ten walking robots. There's a video on my channel entitled "My Robotic My Walking Robotic History," and it's about walking robots I tried to build that walked on two legs since 2004, with various degrees of success. And um, like basically jumping from one leg to the other and staying stable is pretty okay. It's pretty easy to do, but the thing that I never really got properly with two legs was walking forwards they kind of hobble along and they take very small steps but actually dynamically catching themselves as they fall wasn't really a thing that i solved um, however i've done you know lots of two wheel balancing robots which have this sort of principle that they you know their wheels roll forward so it catches the mass as it falls forwards or backwards so it's just a PID controller in the IMU and it's, you know, dynamically catching itself to keep the wheels under the center of gravity. So I thought it was probably finally time to test whether I could make a walking robot that worked in exactly the same way as a two wheel balancing robot. So without wanting to build lots of complicated, you know, knee and hip and ankles with feet that tip sideways and doing all the inverse kinematics and having lots and lots of motors, I decided to use the strand beast mechanism. So essentially it's a single row of strand beast legs and then it balances like a two wheel balancing robot. So it runs along faster to catch itself as it falls. I, I thought that was really ingenious. I mean, yeah, I've built several strand beasts myself and I thought mm -hmm. that was really in ingenious the way you did that. I'd never, I'd never even considered just making them all in one row like that. But at the end of that video, I thought was what was interesting is you were using a PID algorithm, which normally, you know, I don't know how to summarize it, but basically, you know, one one input to the wheel is, is one input to the ground, whereas with a strong beast, an input to the wheel, you know, you never know where you're at in that leg without some some real heavy math. It's almost like you need some sort of, I guess, transfer function to, yeah, you know, so obviously you've thought about this too. Yeah, there were some issues because obviously the center, well, the balancing point changes as one leg picks up and the other one comes down, you know, one picks up at the back and another one comes down on the ground at the front. So I think I probably maybe could have tuned it to work with the four legs I had, but I ended up adding another four legs. So that was more consistent. So it was more like a wheel, essentially, with eight legs right. all in, run, in a row. 
That makes um, sense. The more you, you have, know, it becomes smoother. Yeah, and it was quite lumpy when the feet were smashing into the ground with only four legs. But uh, I think that perhaps that's why we need compliance in robotics when they get quite big. So, so do you, is that, that project lumpiness. done, or you think there's more to be more to be developed? So the plan was that. to have differential drive so I could steer it, but because of lockdown, I can't go and test it anywhere. So at the moment, it's still in one piece, and I might come back and I might take it to a warehouse. There's a company nearby called Cool Components who supply lots of components to me. I tested my Sonic sure. the Hedgehog two-wheel balancing robot in their warehouse. So I might, well, after lockdown, I might go back and give it another spin and see if I can get it to steer and, and how far it will go around. So it's pretty limited for space. Um, the other project I want to do with strand beasts is one with compliant legs. So the bottom triangle of the strand beast mechanism will be hopefully a backdrivable brushless motor mechanism. <coughs> Excuse me. Which will, so, uh, you know, comply with the ground as the legs hit the ground. I thought you could make the mechanism as one piece that bends with live hinges. You could possibly uh, could, but I'd really like to be I'd like to be able to control it by um, having a backdrivable brushless motor, like quasi-direct drive, and then essentially looking at the demand position you send the motor to, and then looking at where it actually is, and working out what the difference is, and that tells you the force that's being applied, and then driving it partway to the kind of demand position um, with another PID controller to make it more or less compliant, which is essentially what I'm doing with robot dogs. So having kind of an active <laughs> suspension system in each of those legs. I'm not quite sure what it looks like yet. I think it might look like a robot dog with eight legs, with two, two strand beast legs in each corner, and each one can, can lift up and down independently of the strand beast mechanism and its compliance. But that's another project. Well, that would be cool. Then you could walk over like moon craters. Yeah, so that would be the idea. It would be multi-terrain, and it could take really big steps by lifting its active foot up to step over things oh that's a good point because it, it's and really as, as much as they look like all-terrain vehicles they're really they're really terrible off of yeah. the surface but as, you, as you're saying if you could control each leg independently then you know then yeah things, and then obviously um, a lot cooler. we can make it compliant we can put an inertial measurement unit in it and keep it level and keep the put foot switches in so they comply or whatever with the ground as they go so the top stays level and the feet will walk on over lumps and bumps and things like that. Nice. And how would you scan the ground? So you'd have the compliance anyway. Well, so one of the things I did with test robot dogs was have the inertial measurement unit in the body of the dog. And then if it starts to tip over, then you basically make the feet in the direction it's tipping more compliant so that they're softer or the other way around, whichever way to level it out. So mm -hmm. you could have the leg where it hits the ground you'd be able to work out how much force was being applied because the motor would get less to the position you wanted it to go to. And you could work out that the robot was tipping so you could make that foot more compliant. Or you could just put foot switches in that when they hit the ground, they stop at that position. Nice. Once everything's active and you can control compliance and you can control the position of the legs, then you know you can pretty much do anything. <laughs> wow so so just talking about compliance and stuff how, how long have you how long have you been working on the the big robot dog project i know that's been a kind of an ongoing theme right 
Yeah, since about 2018, I think, late 2018, the first one. Um, so, okay. so I built these you know, two-legged walking robots that are almost human-sized that works kind of okay. So I thought four legs has got to be easy. Um, and I built an exosuit <laughs> around that time, which was a machine that walked when I walked that I could get inside. It was obviously easier to walk without it, but, you know, it worked nonetheless. It had um, kind of sprung levers that you pulled up and down with your feet that had Hall effect sensors in, and that would control the motor positions. And that was all driven by ball screws and brushless motors. So I knew they were pretty strong. And I thought, I've done two-legged walking robots. I can easily make one that walks on four legs. So I made this Open Dog one that was all CNC aluminium and stuff. There's a lot of metal in it. It's very heavy about 50 kilograms 100 pounds it's got aluminium extrusion in it and it's got 12 ball screws 1605s which is what's that thicker than an inch oh no sorry uh three quarters i don't know yeah 16 millimeters and um and 12 brushless motors and it weighs a lot and the thing (laughs) i didn't take into account of course was the walking robots had big feet with ankles that made it rather easier the dog doesn't it has just points that it walks on and i spent pretty much most of that time trying to make it stable and it's very hard indeed and it's so heavy you can't pick it up so i had to buy an engine hoist to hold it and move it around um and it's become sort of uh, an ongoing thing i think there's about 20 videos on youtube but it still doesn't really walk very well so then I started, you know, branching out and doing more R&D. So I've built at least four other test dogs since then. Uh, there were two which had backdrivable brushless motors that worked quite well, which was what I was just talking about. So essentially using that encoder on the gearbox as the actual sensor to work out what the force is being applied to the leg and then using an inertial measurement unit to work out how level the dog is and changing the compliance to keep it stable. But they only had one motor in each leg to test compliance with the ground. So they could walk on the spot, but they couldn't go anywhere. And then I went on to Mini Dog, which was entirely 3D printed using RC servos, but geared down two to one. So quite a big sort of about a foot long robot dog. And I did two versions of that quite recently. And then I managed to get dynamic walking working. So walking dynamically on two legs at a time, taking two legs off the ground and leaving diagonal legs on the ground. So I managed to get that to work, but I didn't have much agility because they were really cheap RC servos and they were geared down. So now I'm on to Open Dog version 2, which is back to 12 brushless motors. And I'm using really big sort of 90 millimeter diameter drone motors, those pancake motors, with a really low reduction so that they're back drivable and I can make them compliant. Um, and this one's mostly 3D printed with carbon fiber tubes and all sorts. So anyway, it's about 15 kilograms. So it should be oh, significantly nice. faster and hopefully has enough power to do to basically move the legs to where they need to be when I want them to be there. Well, that's probably good, though, because I feel like, you know, so many times you watch a video and you're like, well, you know, I had this idea and then yada, yada, yada. I was on CAD for five minutes, five minutes of 3D printing. And here it is, my, you know, walking humanoid robot that talks to you and whatever. When, when in reality, it's, you know, taking all kinds of work. So it's. I don't know. I, I think that's good sometimes to, that people can people can see what's what's really going on behind the scenes, and that you know engineering is not is not usually easy. <laughs> I mean, no, and I mean no. I'm, I, I'm kind of quite happy I've gone through the whole journey and shown all of that on video as well. 
So now, you know, in the first part of Open Dog version two, I had this whole recap of, you know, I did this and I did basically what I just said, but it's about 20 minutes long with all the bits of test video and drawing the conclusion about what I should do now. So it's quite satisfying to have gone through that whole journey and um, not just, you know, copied MIT Cheetah or something like that. <laughs> it, it's funny when you go back to it, it's, you know, you go back two years and if, if you've been improving, you think, wow, that was really, I really shouldn't have done things that way. <laughs> you know, you just, I guess as you keep learning, you just realize how bad your tech, well, I don't know really if you say bad techniques, just, you know, you, you do things as well as you can. And then I guess if, if a project goes working, long it's enough. not working. Yeah. <laughs> and to mean some you did a bad job. It's, yeah, it's I mean, just I'd, not working right. The first open dog I'd planned as far as could I make a kinematic model work or the inverse kinematic model. So could I put those feet in X, Y, Z card or Cartesian coordinates and work back the geometry to move all of the, you know, the other, the three leg joints or the leg motors and ball screws to the right length. And that's as far as I thought it through. And I thought after that be easy, right? Because then I can just position the joints and I'll be able to just, you know, make it walk. Um, which is all I'd really done with the other walking robots had inertial measurement units in them. And I kind of just fudged numbers until they worked. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is, um, needs a lot more dynamic control and a lot more agility to achieve it. At least walking with two legs off the ground, walking with three on the ground at a time is not so hard. But the first open dog is so heavy, though, that it's a very, very slow, statically stable kind of thing that oscillates when it stops moving and so on. So, yeah, it's definitely um, better ways to engineer it for for walking, whichever way you do it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking about you, by the way, James. I'm just saying generally, generally <laughs> speaking, it seems like, you know, myself or anybody really. It's just, just funny to go back and watch, you know? Yeah. I've spent a lot of time with uh, builders over the past uh, year, uh, you know, uh, car carpenters, uh, construction people. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you ask them for advice, they know exactly how to do stuff. Like if you ask them, so how do I lay down these tiles? They can tell you exactly how to do it and it will be perfect. Uh, that just doesn't happen in engineering. There's always, you, you come up with an idea, you have to test, you never know if this is going to work out or not. Yeah, so I guess there's sort of, sort of safe bets, and then there's the R&D. So a lot of the other projects that I build are basically, I kind of use what I say are building blocks that are things I'm really comfortable with using. So the O-Drive, for instance, for controlling brushless motors, I pretty much know inside out. So I know if I've got to use a brushless motor, I'm going to control it with an O-Drive because I know I mm -hmm. can make that work. And so the performance robots I mentioned, in fact, I pretty much copied and pasted the CAD from OpenDog. So the ball screws and all the motor placements, all the pulley sizes are identical. All the ball screws are the same. The belts are the same size. So I pretty much copied and pasted those things I'd already designed and put them in another position. And then that was how I designed performance robots because I already knew the O-Drive would work, how fast it would move, you know, and so on. And I could just order all the same parts again and then it would all fit together. So generally, I kind of don't do a project where everything is new in one go. It's normally I'll try one new thing I haven't done before, and then sure. I'll use everything else as something I know really well. But I see your latest project, you're using a LiDAR system. Have you have you tried that before? Or is that a totally <clears throat> No, new... that was the first time, but I did 
play with it for about a month before deciding what to do with it. What do you think about the LiDAR system? Was that, uh, is that something you'll use in the future? Or is that something you might just set aside? Yeah, so I really want to look, look at ROS, which is the robot operating system, which already has modules that do simultaneous location and mapping and path planning and all of that stuff, which is open source. It's just there's quite a high barrier to entry, and I really need to sit down and um, do an online course or something. And then basically sure. I'd be able to use a LiDAR to have a robot that goes around and maps the room, and then you know you can send it from A to B, and it plans a path, and all that code is already written by someone else. So I think that's the next level of where I need to be, really. But yeah, that would use a LiDAR or it would use one of the Intel RealSense. Um, I think they're called depth cameras or something else like a Microsoft Connect or something that can scan the room. But yeah, that LiDAR was like seems like you have plenty of time for that. Sorry? It seems like you have have plenty of time to to do that (laughs) kind of thing, so... What I probably have to do is probably several weeks of learning, so I probably have to make a vlog about what I'd learned. That's what I'm planning to do, I think. But yeah, that LiDAR was £100, which is a pretty cheap one. But it's all right for £100. And then the, the company make various more expensive ones with faster, better data. So that's hmm. uh, something we'd have to see how it goes or whatever the sensor is. Yeah, that does seem pretty cheap for a LiDAR unit. I mean, it can be... Yeah, it's pretty what, good for the ten, money. Tens of thousands of dollars sometimes, I think. Although, not that I've ever really priced them, but... No, they do some that are about sort of five or six hundred or a thousand, but yeah, this is the very entry level one. Tesla okay. couldn't afford them, so. <laughs> well, you know, he likes he likes radar and visual systems, so I guess that's. Well, yeah, he, he's the one person that doesn't like lidar. It seems like, for for whatever okay. reason. Well, it's not full auto driving, is it yet? So. That's no. true. Did. But he yeah. says there will be one million robot taxis driving around the country in uh, 2020. So it's quite, quite a few possible. months left to achieve that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's that's a good. I mean, I think that's um, that's pretty smart though, because in 2020 there's not a lot of cars in the road, so it should be a lot easier to navigate. You know, he's uh, yeah. just taking <laughs> taking advantage of less the- cars on the road. But I heard there's a huge surge of people buying bicycles. Yes, apparently you know, my, so. My wife wanted to buy a bicycle, but we haven't found one for her yet, so I guess... Is that because there aren't any off. bicycles to buy, or you haven't found one you like? Well, long story here, but basically I found one at Costco that I, I wanted. I, I was like, like, you know, do you want you want me to get this? And you're like, we talked about it. And then Anyway, it was a whole, whole big deal, because <laughs> the next time I went there, they were just out of them, because apparently yeah. toilet paper and bicycles are flying off the shelves these days <laughs> i don't even get it why, why do people want bicycles now is it because they have more free time they don't want to go for bike rides because uh, i i go for actually, yeah, I, actually don't have I, to... I have a bike I, I go for bike rides more now than i did before because the well the gyms i was gonna say the gym's closed but it's open now but i'm not i'm not going there for a while and um you know you go on the trail you get a little exercise in I don't know. Yeah, the gyms maybe, make sense. Maybe, maybe so, James knows. Do you have any insight well, into this? Well, about bicycles. Well, so the UK's got this whole um, environmental initiative, and they've also got this thing about, you know, the whole coronavirus thing is a good opportunity to get people to be active and stuff. 
it's a good opportunity for cycling so there's some money yeah. a million or something that's going to be about putting cycle lanes in and then they're talking about e-scooters which are currently illegal anything like a hoverboard or a segway or an electric scooter is illegal to ride on the public highway mm-hmm. electric skateboards all of that and that includes the road and the pavement um, but however, there's some same, cities same they're actually, yeah, so there's several cities they're actually trialing making it okay um, once there's proper <laughs> cycle lanes. So uh, that's quite good. We have electric bikes, but it has to be pedal assist and maximum 250 watts, I think, is the rules at the moment. Uh, but they're basically right. saying they'll allow electric scooters. So, um, and you know, it'll be the time to, to uh, revolutionize transport and everything. Hmm. You know, I I think they're illegal on the sidewalks here, and maybe even the road as far as like bikes. But so I, you know, I'm I'm riding my bike the other day, and I pull up to the stop sign or stoplight, and you know, then I hear I see this other bike, and I just hear this blah 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 blah, and I look over, and I realize he's got a he's got a tiny gasoline engine hooked up to his bicycle, and I was I can't, but you know, I think I think people I think people pretty much look the other way. Because it's kind of hard to tell whether it's a real bike or a e-bike or in gasoline Germany, bike. In Germany, you're really screwed if they catch you. Like if yeah. the police sees you and uh, scooters are allowed now, but they also have limitations. You need a little license plate for them. Oh, right. But otherwise, if you get caught with that, um, you're in real big trouble. You lose your license and all kind of that. It's like driving without a driving license, basically. So Is that, uh, do you lose I, it I wouldn't have forever? It before. No, Is- but over here they're really strict with the stuff. Like if your license is gone, basically, um, even for a month, you know, they, they, they put so many hurdles in your way to regain that license. And they have this stuff. Like if, if you get caught too often, um, driving too fast, you have to get like a mental evaluation. <laughs> and they, they, they really, they treat you like, like you're completely nuts. Oh, well, I guess which, literally. So which, what, what do you mean? Well, like, this, is, this is very interesting, Max. So you have to go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> Or how does yeah, that work? Basically, well, let, let's say uh, you get you, you can drive up uh, with alcohol up to zero point five per one thousandth of your volume of. I, I know you've got different measurement value in in the UK and in America. Basically, you can drink one or maybe two beer and you can still drive. Mm-hmm. If if they catch you and you maybe had a third beer, or if you're a, a lightweight person um, like a woman, or <laughs> you're just short. Uh, and you've got, well, one beer might have been enough, basically. Um, so then you've, you've driven under the influence. And to regain that, you have to go to a psychologist, basically. And to get out of that situation, you can't just say, well, I just had one beer too many, you know. You basically have to tell them, <laughs> I, I had a really bad problem in life at that moment. I just got divorced. Uh, I got fired, but I, I, I had the wrong ways. I was an alcoholic, but now I changed my ways. I, I, I learned new ways to cope with my alcohol problem. Yeah, it's you know, I had, really, I had heard that really there was a... de- degrading and bad and over the top. So how do you know? Do you have experience with this, Max? Is that No, 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 no. I was so scared of this stuff. I saw it on TV and I thought I never want to be in that stupid position, you know, because you had one beer too many. And, and really with one beer, you... I don't know if it's legal in the UK and so on, but you, you can drive. It's, it's okay to have dinner and drink one beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. It's a blood alcohol Just a little bit here. over the limit, and they, they treat you like you completely endangered the public. So I, I never drink uh, and, and, and drive just for that reason. I don't want to get any trouble. 
Yeah, no, it's and, good. Yeah, in general, I just try to keep my license as clean as possible, which <laughs> I succeeded so far. I, I had heard that somebody had told me that in Germany, if they take your license away for drunk driving, it was just gone forever. But I guess that's not, I guess that's not quite true. But pretty, really yeah, no, pretty you close. Can, you can get it back, but you're really in a world of pain, and yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, I guess uh, a good situation. <laughs> so I guess that's why we need auto driving cars, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess I guess once that happens, and it's then you wonder about these people with a suspended license. Then, you know, there's a whole another moral and legal legal hurdles you have to drive through. I mean, you know, if my Tesla hits your uh, Mercedes and neither of us are driving, then then who exactly gets sued? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. But it's probably well, something hopefully. the insurance industry have to deal with. Yeah, so. and I guess if they're safe enough, then the insurance industry won't mind. Well, it depends if that happens less than it does when dr humans are driving. Yeah. Which I don't see uh, at the moment. I, I don't see that trend that they're becoming safer. <laughs> Do you not think? Or, or 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 close to safe enough? Obviously, they're making improvements. But um, if I'm looking at these Teslas, like last week, there was a car in Taiwan. Uh, he was traveling on a motorway with a I think a Model Y, uh, which is the latest Tesla model, and he was on mm -hmm. autopilot. And the driver was not attentive. God knows what what he was doing, but there was an overturned uh, truck, a giant uh, truck that, on yeah. the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he just crashed into them. You know, how can the car, my car is not a smart car, and it would notice that there's something in the way and brake. Right. But what about That's a Google smart. also driving car? Who knows? We haven't seen anything from Google yet, have we? Um, like, I thought they were driving around secretive. California or something. Yeah, yeah, they're driving them around, but no, you know, no update or, you know, mm. what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, mean, I, th I think I it's know. coming eventually, whether it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be a long time still, but I, I think Mercedes happen, is I think. on the right track. They're slowly iterating their software and every six years when a new model comes out, they have some new features that are more and more autonomous. Like the, the, the current new cars from Mercedes, they can do the same stuff as the autopilot almost. You know, they do lane changes, they do overtaking for you on and off ramps. Braking, steering, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, yeah, but let's buy some bicycles. <laughs> try and make a... an auto-driving bicycle. Or yeah, an auto that'd be a good bicycle. project for you. Yeah. You know, Tom uh, Stratton is his name? Stanton? He, he did this. Stanton, yeah. He did the ABS system yeah, for his bike, it. which I thought was really cool. And he also did the wheelie assist or the wheelie cheat device. Yeah, yeah, I'm too old Which for that. Pull the back brake on <laughs> to stop you tipping over, but you can do a wheelie just by pedaling really hard. Yeah, you, he's you know, just about at the at the right age where he can still pull the stuff off. Yeah, you know, believe it or not, I've I've uh, done a wheelie and fallen back before, and I've flipped over my handlebars several times. So <laughs> probably be good or? for me. Oh no, not intentionally. The the worst the he's worst the Florida, one. Man. <laughs> no, well, this was in South Carolina, but it, the worst one, right? So I'm riding, you know, a mountain biking with one of my friends and, you know, we're talking and I just gotten some new disc brakes for, or a new disc brake for my front tires. And he says, oh, do those work pretty well? I'm like, yeah, pretty well. Check this out. Hit the brakes and flipped over the handlebars. <laughs> and that was, 
I was okay though, because apparently I've learned, I've done it enough that I know what I'm doing. Although now it's been several years and I'm a little older, so maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, but yes, I am. <laughs> I am from Florida. So for what that's worth. When Jer Jeremy rides his bike, he rides it to Dunkin' Donuts. All yeah, right. we got a Dunkin' Donuts right near here. So, actually, we talked to the last guest we had. He said he hadn't been to Dunkin' Donuts before, which I think was. I, I guess they have those in the UK, right, James? Or is that not? I don't know not if even we do. Thing? We have Krispy Kreme, but I don't know if we have Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, God. Yeah, personally, I prefer Dunkin' Donuts, but some people love Krispy Kreme. I don't. I don't. I don't actually go to either one that much because. I'm uh, going to watch my weight. But yeah. <laughs> oh, they're both good. <laughs> they're, they're don't, don't let Max oversell them. I mean, you know, I always, I try to go into things with very low expectations. And then if, you know, and then if it's good, then you're happy. And... You can't oversell donuts. <laughs> that's a, that's they're, a good they're point. Pure sugar and fat. They're, they're mm -hmm. the perfect sweet. So <laughs> what? Are, what is the donut... Uh, donut store in, in the uk what's your what's well, your there's place, Krispy Kreme, but that's not really a uk one we don't i don't think we really have a like a culture of donuts that much <laughs> we have, have, we, have spud, we have spud you like but that's potatoes <laughs> which i imagine is the same but it's a potato and you can choose the filling is that like dunking donuts i mean it's it's food so i guess in that sense it's it's yeah. similar um <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, James. Uh, you know, if you, we had all of this in our agenda laid out, just so you know, you know, as far as yeah, the yeah, way it's very well planned out. That's why we go to our next section, which is what have you been working on today or this week, uh, Jerry? Why, why did you go ahead? So, uh, yeah, what have I been working on? I, man, I've always got ten projects, and unlike James, I don't, I don't plan them quite as well. Um, but you know, even though I have all these projects going on, I had a new new idea. Oh. basically I've, I've got this uh, fountain that I think I was telling you about last week, Max, and it's got mm -hmm. a, uh, a timer on it. That's just, just really pretty shoddy. And it's, you know, one of those electrical timers you plug in, it's kind of electromechanical and it's just always, always not working well. So I've got these, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, anyway, I've got these things that they've got the ESPA266 boards in and they're a, um, a relay board, like a smart relay. So what I'm thinking so it's is I'm going to Arduino with Wi-Fi, right? Arduino with Wi-Fi, basically. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to actually hook this up to an extension cord and then put some a giant piece of heat shrink I ordered on the outside and seal it up with zip ties and yeah, see how see how it works. So that's or you could just buy a smart uh, socket. I could, I could, but <laughs> you know, it's it's far be it for me to Sorry. make anything. <laughs> Far be it for me to make anything that makes sense or is is easy. So, but yeah, I've, I'm also. Oh, I guess I should say this too. I got the uh, the new Raspberry Pi high quality camera. I've been working on that for as like a oh a, nice you know part of my job job. So that's been um that's been really fun. It's uh, I gotta say it's it's spectacular, and um I even got it to adapt my old Canon lenses to it, which is kind of or a Canon lens I have to it. So. Yeah, it should be so a. How good is that camera? Is it like a phone camera? It's um. Wise? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I would say. I'd say it's it's a giant leap from the version two camera. If you've ever seen that, I would say it's not it's not as good as the. You know my my DS or my mirrorless that I have, like I, that I use for 
normally, but it's pretty good. I mean, I I guess the cool thing about the Raspberry Pi cameras in general is just you have so much so much control over it. You can put in different options on the command line and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to do any sort of sort of good photography with the with the Pi, I think it's a really excellent choice. So, so I guess um, I think it's pretty cheap as well, though, isn't it? I think it fits on a Jetson Nano as well. I think it's got the same socket for that style of that ribbon cable, whatever that interface is called. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right about that. I don't know what uh, what it's called, but yeah, the ribbon cable. I was reading something though that they don't quite have the drivers yet for the that Jetson Nano, but oh, really? you know that's probably that's probably coming. No, I think well, it you, you know, well, at least the Raspberry Pi two camera works. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's uh, I may have it out by now. I'm sure. I'm sure if they don't, I'm sure they're they're working on it. As I've we definitely speak. seen a video tutorial with the Nano from Nvidia that's got a Raspberry Pi camera of some sort plugged into it. Anyway. Nice. But yeah, James, if you're um, you know, I would definitely recommend those if you're you know for vision system applications and stuff, the new high quality camera. Okay. So, but you know, now what about you, James? What are you what are you working on these days? Well, so uh, ongoing Open Dog version two. As I say, the mechanical build comes up on YouTube on Tuesday. The I don't know when this podcast is going out actually, but it might have already happened. But uh, the <laughs> Tuesday the ninth in my YouTube channel, and electronics going in two weeks later on the twenty third. Uh, and then right. I'm back to making the ball balancing robot balance. And then I don't know exactly. I think I might do something about jets and nanos. And I might look at Roz, nice. or I might do hey, another just, Strand Beast. Just so everybody's, uh, I guess, on the same page, we're recording this on June fifth, twenty twenty. I guess we should start saying that before episodes uh, yes. <laughs> for posterity or, or what I, have I'll you. I'll upload this tonight. I think. I, I, I think I can do it. Okay. Okay. Well, what, whatever happens, it is. It is the beginning of June, so. What about what about you, Max? What are you what are you working on these days? Well, uh, for YouTube, for for my social media side of uh, my business, I didn't do much basically. Uh, I had so many orders. I make these draw slides for caravans, and the caravan business has been going like crazy these weeks. Uh, I, I never sold as much as as like this month basically. Uh, just today, I got a huge order, so I'm in a workshop all day basically doing that kind of stuff and um, to make my work a little bit easier you know I assembly uh, assemble all the stuff I made some some trays some like uh, bolts for nuts and bolts and they have the shape of nuts and bolts so I thought whenever I need to grab like a 12 millimeter long screw I should have a little container that just looks like the 12 millimeter long screw so I can grab the right one and that's what I've been making and I also made some donut shaped uh, bolts for washers so I'll probably post some pictures on the Instagram. I'm not making a video out of these, but... Wait, a donut-shaped bolt? A, a bowl. A bowl. Oh, a bowl. Like right. a container. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, a washer-shaped bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Right, right. Well, they actually... Yeah. They, they look right. very fun, and I love their 3D printer for that. You know, I, I spent, you know, making this bowl. It takes me 10 minutes on a computer, and it's fun. The printer goes all night, and then I have these bolts the next day, so... Yep, yeah, it's I, pretty, I think it's pretty nice. L long run, um, it will help me assemble stuff quicker. Nice, very cool. Um, well, be, hey, before we forget, we should probably give our our Patreons a shout out, right, Max? Oh, good idea. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, so our top top five Patreons or, or five Patreons are Brian Moses, Old School DIY, Pat Regan, Positive Waves, and Stephen Booker. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for your support, and we uh, we really appreciate it, and appreciate you guys listening too, of of course. So, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, well, anything else? Uh, anything else you want to plug, or you know, I guess where where can we find you, James? If we're we're looking so for awesome robots. So you can find awesome me robots. on on youtube and my channel is my own name which is james bruton and you can also find me on other social media and the uh, handle is at x robots uk very cool and uh what about you max where can we find you on youtube of course uh, max maker on youtube with the green logo and on instagram max underscore maker underscore yt i think it is yeah i, I post some updates there as well Awesome. All Thanks right. for oh uh, well, Jeremy. I miss, myself. <laughs> you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Jeremy S. Cook. I I post there a lot more than Max does. Um, and then on YouTube, I'm I'm just Jeremy Cook. So check me out there. I make uh, all kinds of stuff like everybody, like the other two people here. So well, thanks so much for uh, for listening. We uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks, James, for being our guest. Uh, it was really good to talk to you. You know, we, we've been watching your videos for a few years and actually getting to ask you some questions uh that's that's really nice okay thanks for having me on all right take it easy thanks bye bye